Welcome to the show. This is Philip H. Anselmo. Hey, everybody. This is Ricky Rackman from Headbangers Ball. Hey, guys. This is Aaron from Betraying the Martyrs. Hey, what's up? This is Mike D. from Chill Switch Engage. Hey, this is Scooter Word from Cold. And you are listening to... And you are listening to... And you are listening to... And you're listening to... You are listening to... Talk to me. 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 With Joshua. What is up, congregation? Welcome in to Talk To Me, episode 231. Happy Halloween to everyone out there. The guests this week are Kenny Hickey of Silver Tomb and Typo Negative fame and Alan Robert of Life of Agony fame. Two great interviews this week. They both have albums out. The Sound of Scars is out now by Life of Agony. And Silver Tomb has The Edge of Existence out tomorrow, November 1st. Got a track from uh, Edge of Existence coming up and a track from Sound of Scars coming up. And we will also check out some classic Typo Negative and some classic Life of Agony on this action-packed episode of the Talk To Me podcast here on Halloween. Hopefully you guys are going to go out tonight, take the kids out, take yourself out, get some candy. I did read that the uh, dad tax on candy is going to be pretty high this year, and that will 100% be true at the uh, To Me household. If you guys see some full-size Snickers bars out there, let me know where they're at so I can uh, curtail the Toomey clan over that way. No uh, no Apple Podcast review this week. No Facebook recommendation this week. I need you guys out there. If you guys have an iPhone, hit the uh, Apple Podcast thing and leave a nice five-star rating, nice five-star review. It takes a couple of seconds, and that will be much appreciated. Also, the new Talk To Me shirts are in, so make sure you're reaching out. Those are just, uh, order those through me at paypal.me slash talk to me. $25 shipped anywhere in the continental United States for free. If you're overseas, I will. Uh, we can work something out. $25, PayPal it over to me. Send me your name, your address, and what size shirt you need, and I will get that to you. I have sizes small through extra large. All of my 2Xs are already gone. I appreciate everyone out there that's already bought a shirt, and thank you for supporting the show. My name is Scott Bowling. I have a show called Good Company. Good Company is a show where we film artists in the rock genre, and we talk about their first record all the way to where they are now. We've interviewed bands like Korn and Seven Us and Rich Ward. You can find me on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook under Good Company or Good Company with Bowling. So please, if you get a chance, check it out. Good Company! Looks like the uh, Good Company show is going to podcast coming soon, so I'm sure we'll have Scott on to talk about that. So always go over to YouTube or scottgoodcompany.com. Let him know that the Talk To Me podcast sent you, and thank him for all of his years now of support of the Talk To Me podcast. And the t-shirts I talked about earlier, the Talk To Me t-shirts made by MerchLive.com. Looks like a new episode of the Merch Live magazine is coming out soon with my uh, excerpt from the uh, excerpt from the uh, Corrosion of Conformity Mike Dean episode will be in there. So cool to have the uh, Talk To Me podcast in written form. I know many of you out there may not understand this, but having the Talk To Me podcast interviews in written form is very cool. I do appreciate all of the blabbermouths and the uh, metal nexuses of the world for putting uh, Talk To Me on their websites, but having a physical, tangible copy of the Talk To Me podcast is pretty awesome. 
And last but not least, before we dive into the interviews with Alan Robert of Life of Agony and Kenny Hickey of uh, Typo Negative slash Silver Tomb, I do want to say the new Skin Lab album is out. And you know, if you've listened to the show for years and years, you know my love of Steve, you know my love of Skin Lab. And so make sure you guys are checking it out. It is an absolute banger of an album. Just from note one, it's uh, so good. And uh, it was great to see on Friday when the album came out. Looked like everybody in my Facebook feed was checking it out. And uh, so make sure you're supporting Steve and the guys in Skin Lab and checking out the new Skin Lab album. It is fantastic. So with that being said, let's check out some classic Life of Agony. Let's talk to Alan Roberts. Check out some new Life of Agony. Talk to Kenny Hickey. Check out some of his new band, Silver Tomb. And then I will uh, talk to you guys momentarily.
how you doing today, man? I'm doing great, man. I'm getting psyched to see the Misfits at uh, Madison Square Garden this weekend. <laughs> I actually had that on my list. I know you're a big fan, so uh, we'll so we'll start out with that, man. How how cool is it to see that band so many years later get to play Madison Square Garden? Oh man, it, it's like uh, it's like one of your friends getting made in the mob. I don't know, man. It's, it's... I feel like Jimmy Conway and Goodfellas. You know, <laughs> like they're in. They made it. Um, they finally no, made it's it. A, it's a, it's amazing thing. It's a, and they totally deserve it. Um, what a groundbreaking band. We had the pleasure of touring with the Michael Graves era mm-hmm. version. Yeah. Um, and that's how we got friendly with Jerry and, and Doyle and um, back in the, the late 90s. And um, I've just been a huge fan my whole life. I think the very first Life Agony show I ever played, I was wearing a Misfit shirt. And I think I've worn one, if not Misfits, then a Doyle shirt, probably almost every other show in the last 30 years. Um, just, it's going to be legendary. The very next day, we um, steal we steal Doyle, and uh, he's opening up for Life Agony in Europe. Yeah, that's got to be a, that's going to be a great great tour for the uh, you know going overseas and stuff. The one thing about the um, you know you saying you're wearing a Misfit shirt at the first show. And throughout the entire career, it's crazy how that that you know that skull and that logo and everything else just became so iconic, you know, over the years to where you'll see just like you know hip hop fans that have no idea what the Misfits are rocking Misfits gear just because of how cool it is. It's uh, definitely uh, iconic, and you know, I think like most people my age, um, we got into Misfits because Cliff Burton had the the skull tattoo, you know, and um, and then Metallica ended up doing some big covers of them and they turned like a whole generation onto misfits that might've missed them, you know? Um, so yeah, I'm a huge Cliff, Cliff Burton fan. So I, as soon as I saw that skull on his arm, I was like, what is that? <laughs> yeah. I think we were all like that. You know, we all got, uh, you know, the, the garage days and, uh, checking out those last two songs and the lyrics alone, you're like, God, I got to see what these, what the other songs by this band is like. And uh, actually, when I had, I sat down with Doyle and interviewed him, and one of the things that we talked about was that very thing. And, you know, he gave 100% credit to Cliff Burton, uh, even just Cliff alone, for, for keeping the uh, the Misfits alive in the 80s. Yeah, how amazing is that? Uh, you know, <laughs> it's a great cosign right there. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, the Sound of Scars out out now and uh you guys just did a uh i guess do, do you still call them cd release shows what are we calling these album release parties or you know uh hit play on your spotify account release parties but you guys, <laughs> you, guys you guys had one of those over the weekend and uh you know how how well did it go you know all that good stuff yeah you know, it, it's funny because yeah i mean you get music any way you can now right um i don't even have a cd player in my car right um, where do you play CDs? Um, <laughs> I, you know what I've seen? Actually, vinyls are really blowing up all my feeds. Um, fans are really digging vinyl. And actually, the the record company put out a cassette version of Sound of Scars in Europe. Nice. Um, so I, I'm looking to get a hold of that. I don't know where I play it. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we did a, an album release, kind of like an intimate show just for... Um, for diehard fans, we uh, we actually just gave away tickets through the local radio station and Brooklyn Vegan, and um, we had a handful of 
just VIP guests come down, mostly family and friends. And um, we want to celebrate the release of the album, but also it's a significant date um, because um, River Undread was released 26 years ago. So we, uh, we kind of commemorated both events at the show and we played a mixture of both records and and uh, some other from the from the back catalog it was such a fun fun time we had our kids there and our families there and it was just a fun night it was just you know LOA and uh in our uh Brooklyn crowd and um and Joey and I got to actually uh jump behind the bar because it was at Coney Island Brewery um right down the street from Nathan's um where we shot our first music video for Through and Through. So it was a lot of uh, full circle experience. And Joey and I jumped behind the bar and served drinks to to everybody that was there for about an hour before the show. And um, it was a really cool hometown experience, you know? Yeah, it's so it's so crazy to hear 26 years ago. I mean, you know, I just turned 40, so, I mean, basically... You know, I got the through and through the river runs red on on cassette, uh, you know, at 13. So, you know, that makes sense. 13, 14 when I got all that stuff. So it makes complete sense. And the the one thing about the sound of scars is I, I had the, you know, the advanced copy. You know, I hit play not knowing anything about it and immediately knew what was going on with the skits. And, right. you know, that the, mm-hmm. the kind of the continuation of the story. And does, does that part of your brain that the graphic novel the 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 coloring book part of your brain you know go get excited when you're able to kind of kind of go back and, and and tell more of that story and just be able to tell a story at all you know on a record oh yeah i mean you know first of all you know pink floyd the wall not just the not just the album but the film also how it all tied together that was such a big inspiration to the whole band um, when we were kids. And I think we always aspired to create something like that for our genre of music. And um, I've always been a storyteller. I've always written comics even before they were published uh, when I was a kid. And um, and now I've been doing it for about 10 years professionally. Um, but I think almost every song is a, is a little story in a sense. And when you could you know, find a common theme between them and tie them together in a concept album type of format, it, it becomes almost bigger than life. So um, it was such a fun experience, a challenge, because we know what um, there are a lot of expectations, obviously, uh, tying to River Undread. But at the end of the day, we made the record that we're so proud of and, and, uh, Almost, it's intended to be listened to back to back. Now, you know of all people that that doing a sequel to a classic is is damn near impossible. You know, you you've got your your horror movies, and if a, a sequel comes out twenty six years later, you're like, I don't know, man, they might mess this one up. But I, I really feel I like I don't know, though. But <laughs> they they kind of nailed it on Evil Dead too, though. They got Evil that Dead one right. Two is even better than the first one. Yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, there's a lot of misses uh, with their with a yeah, few hits. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but uh, but what I was gonna say, man, is I really feel like this album it hits a lot of those classic nerves. Plus, is you know obviously current. Um, you know, adding I think adding Veronica to the band added a whole new dimension to the band. Uh, there's a couple times where she kind of goes off on the drums 
where you're like, whoa, man, you get you let her loose completely, and you might have a a Dream Theater album on your hand. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's good stuff. So she's just phenomenal. Um, great person, great performer, great musician, um, and she definitely brought her chops to this record. Um, you know, we flew out to Oregon to record the drums with Sylvia Massey, the uh, one of the producers on the record. Also, Joey Z, our guitar player, uh, co-produced the record with her, and he did an amazing, amazing job. And um, But we recorded the drums, especially out there with Sylvia, because she's got a ton of old vintage equipment. Um, we were really chasing that organic sound. Um, Veronica actually played on a handmade, hand-built drum kit um, that Sylvia, Sylvia had. And um, the studio that Sylvia had was really different than anything that we've ever recorded in. It's um, There's no wall between the engineer area and the live room. Oh, wow. And so uh, everyone's got to wear headphones to, to hear anything back. And you got to be super quiet while someone's tracking. It's, it's really cool. And, um, you know, it, it breaks down barriers uh, physically you know between working with one another and um that's what this whole record was about was like getting down and dirty getting uh sitting on the floor working out riffs together taking song seeds and developing them all in the same room just like we did the old records when we first started you know when you know this band's been through so much over the years and we got back to the mindset of what makes life of agony life of agony and I think it, you boil it down to two things. It's, it's got a, every song's got to move you physically with the groove and the, and the, and the, the riffs. And then also emotionally through the lyrics and Mina's vocal performance and, and really tapping into some really heavy inner thoughts to our listeners. And, you know, that's what this whole band has been built on and what's, kept us going for 30 years absolutely and it's it's great to have you know new life of agony i know i know that you know the the uh the last album just came out two years ago but this one kind of seems a little bit a little bit more put together i don't know why i don't know that doesn't come from anything other than just a feeling but uh but this one feels like the band is is truly 100 percent back you know you have a full lineup and uh, an intact lineup well I- yeah, I totally agree with you, and I think a lot has to do with Veronica joining the band last year. And when she joined, we became more focused than ever about uh, really taking a look at the strengths of this band and the things we needed to work on and to kind of tackle everything together. And um, when she joined the band, we, um, we had two sold-out shows in Brooklyn lined up and to kind of introduce her to our crowd. And we went back and listened to all the old records together to find songs that we hadn't played in decades and to bring them back into the set. And I think she learned like something like over 20 songs um, to spread over the two nights. And by doing that, we, we went and listened to the records with fresh ears, you know, and we kind of discovered that along the way over evolving from record to record um with many years in between some of them 
that we kind of abandoned certain songwriting elements and not intentionally just you know as you grow and as you're influenced by different styles of music you tend to forget about um some of the things that inspired you in the first place and um by listening to the old records we got back in the in the right mindset to make a chapter two to river on dread and to incorporate a lot of those things that we hadn't done in many many years like you know incorporating those heavy gang vocals again um to bring back those breakdown parts to even to to master the record analog instead of digitally all these little subtleties um really became a a focus for us and i think it shows yeah and the one thing that jumped out to me all the way back to when we were talking about the drums was i was like something sounds different and then i realized it was just a real drum kit it's not I don't feel like it's uh you know all the snares were replaced and all of the toms were replaced. You know I feel like no. she, you know every hit is different and you know that's it's odd to my ears now because so many albums are you know the drummer will track the drums but then they'll go back in and replace all of the uh, you know snare hits with the same exact snare for every hit and stuff. Exactly. We we really tried to get away from anything that sounded sterile. Um, we were chasing that organic. 90s sound really i mean that's you know the technology wasn't happening that frequently back then you know you, in a lot of records you're still dealing with tape and um i think uh it was only by our like third album that they started incorporating pro tools into the picture um so we really tried to go back to those early early first records and and um and capture the the sound quality um, and the warmth and the body of those types of records, and um, yeah, and capture the band in in the live feel. You know, this is that's why when you go see the band, you know, it sounds like the record because that's just us in the studio. I think there's also too a thing where you you talked about going back and listening to the first albums. And Emily, like, uh, like, oh yeah, we got away from this or that. But the, those, especially the first two albums, you know, no offense to Soul Searching Sun, but the first two albums had such a such an, a unique sound and tone and voice that even if a band comes out now, people will go like, ooh, that kind of sounds like Life of Agony. You know, you 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 created a sound, and to hear that sound again is refreshing. I think for me. Oh, that's cool. I appreciate that. And, and you know, if you listen to River Undread and then Ugly back-to-back, back, I mean, it almost seems like two different bands, the approach uh, and the sonics. Because um, even at that stage, it was like we did River Undread. We didn't want to repeat ourselves. And um, we never really did want to repeat ourselves. And even with this record, it's we consider it more of a chapter two or a continuation of River Undread, not trying to duplicate it. Mm-hmm. Um so that was top of mind also. No, and I agree. And I remember getting ugly when it came out. And you you get that first like, oh, well, this doesn't sound as, you know, exactly like River Runs Red. But uh, at the end of the day, I think it uh, held up and, you know, some, still some of my favorite uh, Life of Agony songs on it. Oh, thank you. Uh, so 
let's dive into your uh, to your graphic novels, your uh, your comic not com- well comic books, graphic novels, coloring books. You know, we I think that you've been on the show before and we talked adult coloring books. So uh, it looks like that line has exploded since the last time you've been on here. And um, you know, just kind of talk about that side of, of your life. Yeah, it's funny because um, it's been uh, about ten years now that. I've been working with IDW Publishing. Um, they took a chance on me with my little horror book called Wirehangers in 2009. And um, they contacted me about publishing that, that comic, which I, I had written it and illustrated. And um, since then, they've allowed me to put out a ton of other series. You know, there's been Crawl to Me, Killogy, um, Shun One. And um, the last couple of years, I've been focusing on these horror adult-themed coloring books uh, called The Beauty of Horror. And the first one came out September 2016 and just blew up. It went to number one bestseller on Amazon, and it's available at all the big chain stores. And and since then, um, it's either four or five books. I I lose track now because I'm, I'm... working on stuff for next year already um i think there's five there's five books on the market and some of them are like halloween specials or christmas specials and <laughs> i love it um it's been it's been so much fun uh exploring this whole world that that kind of started for fun because when i first pitched idw the idea to do a horror coloring book it was um it was right around April Fool's Day. And my wife was was coloring in one of these adult coloring books. And most of them at that time were just kind of like flowers, nature, and and uh, zoo animals and stuff. And um, and uh, she was coloring with my daughter, and and I tried to get in on it, but nothing, <laughs> there wasn't one page that I could see myself sitting there for an hour and coloring. And and she was like, well, what do you want to color? And I was like, something disgusting. <laughs> and she's like, well, what would it be? And the most disgusting thing I could think of was CBGB's bathroom. <laughs> and um, and, and I drew it. And I drew it that night. And um, as a joke, for April Fool's Day, I posted, here's my adult coloring book page, CBGB's bathroom. And um, when I woke up the next day, it had been downloaded over 400 times. Oh, wow. And people. And people were coloring CBGB's bathroom. Totally disgusting. And um, it was so much fun for me uh, just to interact with fans in that way that that same day I pitched this horror coloring book, The Beauty of Horror, to IDW. And they got back to me within like 15, 20 minutes, which was like the fastest response I ever got from them. Usually it takes a few days. And they were like, absolutely, let's do it. But I thought they were joking because it was April Fool's Day and, you know, they never greenlit anything that fast, but they were super excited. <laughs> and um, and since then, it's just the, the whole series has uh, really developed a cult following. Uh, some of the books have been um, actually uh, translated for different territories like Korea and Poland. And, um, it's been a lot of fun. And and it's also led you into the world of, you know, the Comic-Con world. And so a lot of times, you know, I follow you on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. And, and a lot of times you'll see, 
you know, you're at a, at a some sort of Day of the Dead fest, you know, just whatever, fe- uh, a comic book horror fest, you know, horror cons. And that's a, I'm sure that's an entirely different world for you from the music world, but I think it also probably coincides a lot to where I'm assuming, you know, when you're out doing these uh, signings and selling your books and things like that, you're also getting a ton of uh, Life of Agony fans there. Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a ton of crossover, I think, with... LOA fans and horror and comics and I think it all is kind of intertwined in a way but at the same time there's a whole different audience in for coloring (laughs) and um, I think some of those folks are have no idea that I even play in a band and um, and the ones that do find out are kind of intrigued like I had no idea and what's this all about you know so it's kind of cool yeah, you definitely branch out to to a few different things. Uh, jumping to, you know, you're about to go in a few, like looks like in a in a week or so, on, a, on the European tour, right after the uh, the Misfits show that you're going to be attending, which I'm completely jealous of. I did get to see the Misfits. <laughs> I got to see them uh, the second Riot Fest show they did in Chicago. I got I, we we made sure to go see that, which was a yeah. a thing I would never never thought I would get to see, but um, but I, I did see the the actually I did get to open for the. Uh, Michael Graves' version of the Misfits, uh, one show, but um, and then also got to see him at the Red Fest. So, so my my Misfits are in there, but um, you get to, you know you're taking Doyle to the, to Europe, uh, doing that. I've you know you guys tend to do uh, some some European runs. When are we going to get to see the uh, see this in the states? It's, it's uh, some form or fashion, not just the Northeast. Oh yeah, we're working on a full U.S. tour for 2020. Um, and we, we're actually, we have some announcements coming up in a few weeks um, to uh, hit some territories the band has never, ever been before. Um, and so we're pretty excited about that. Is it is it just not cost effective to really tour the States? Is it just, you know, obviously you go to Europe, um, you know, maybe a little bit a little bit more lucrative for the band? Or like, what's the, uh, the holdup? Well, we were definitely waiting for the new record to tour yeah. the U.S. In a, in a in a big way, and you know, a lot of last year um, was kind of you know reestablishing the band in a way. You know, mm-hmm. we uh, we did that full Rise of the Underground tour. We took um, Billy Bio out and and Powerflow, and um, and we hit the West Coast for the first time in a very long time. We we tried some new things, and um, and it was all a, a huge success. So it just kind of we're building on that momentum that we built last year and um and that led us to record the sound of scars and now that that just got released now we're ready to just go out there and play everywhere we can definitely looking forward to it um see make sure i got everything on here i I did have two songs that jumped out at me when listening to it was a empty hole into my way out i was just like Mm -hmm. damn like that's just like heavy life of agony back to back like that they the second half of the album is like is just almost pummeling how uh, how the songs just kind of keep coming you know you kind of think that you might fall into some filler or some late late album tracks that you know may go by the wayside but you continue to listen to the album and which i do believe it is a it is an album listen due to the the through line of the skits and the songs themselves but uh but yeah i mean it just it just continues to pummel you as it goes along yeah we uh we definitely, uh, that was definitely top of mind. You know, the sequencing, every everything that went into this record. And um, 
you know, not just the sounds and the songs and the lyrics and, and how we pr produced it, but the sequencing, I think, is is key, you know, because we come from an era that um, we would listen to records from start to finish. And I know that a lot of the younger generation doesn't really, um, maybe doesn't listen to music that way. You know, I know, like, my younger cousin, um he only grabs a couple of songs off of iTunes from bands that he likes and, and that's fine, you know, but, um, this was intended to be like, you know, listen on your bed with headphones from start to finish and, and just soak it all in. Um, like some of the favorite concept records that we grew up on, uh, you know, Roger Waters and Pink Floyd and all that. There was a, a study I saw and I'm going to get the number wrong, but it was a, it was a pretty high number, like 20% of, teenagers have never listened to an album from start to finish it was something crazy yeah like that's that. probably that's probably accurate you know and you know i'd actually be a low just, number yeah it's lower than i thought um because you know some some younger bands that i know don't even um arrange or categorize their music by band name it's, they do it by song and the bands are actually secondary right um so it's just a different way of consuming music. At the end of the day, as long as people are enjoying themselves, it doesn't matter to me. Um, and it's all good. Um, you know, at, and also at the end of the day, you know, we made this record for ourselves first. Um, we wanted to satisfy ourselves first. Uh, being that people dig it just makes it that much better. But at the end of the day, it's art, you know, and, um, you just got to be happy with what you do. Well, absolutely, man. Well, Alan, let's uh, let's end off with the song. What uh, what song off of uh, the Sound of Scars would you like us to play? Um, how about Blackheart? We just released a video for that one. Very cool. Is there any uh, special meaning behind this one, or uh, you know, something in the lyrics you want to talk about? I think this is this is something a lot of people could relate to, especially if they've ever gone through a breakup. Um, you know, just walking around with, you know, that empty feeling that someone's taking a piece out of you um, and you're, you're still haunted by it. I think it's a pretty, pretty common feeling that people go through. Well, fantastic, man. Well, good luck with The Sound of Scars, the, uh, the new album out, already out. Make sure you guys are getting it wherever you get your music legally. And uh, make sure, hopefully, you guys will be coming to the Midwest when you come through. Uh, I'll definitely be hounding you guys and uh, all that good stuff. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. All right, Alan. Have a good rest of your day. You too. See ya.
into it man we've got a kenny hickey of silver tomb and typo negative fame on the line man how are you today sir hanging in there at 11 in the morning yeah it is a bit early for you man and i'm not even like the first of the day right you've already had a couple before me no baby you're my first oh man it's always nice to be your first (laughs) (laughs) well we're talking about uh silver tomb and the uh the new album edge of existence out november 1st basically halloween and what a killer record, man! I was uh, was definitely uh, definitely enjoying it. Thank you. You've got a uh, you've got a very like uh, you know Sabbathy Chris Cornell voice, man. I was I was very taken aback by that. It's just the way it comes out. I keep getting that a lot, you know. Yeah, I think if the uh, Soundgarden guys want to want to do a one off show, I think they need to call you, man. Oh, they need somebody way better than me. Nah, I don't know about that one, but <laughs> um, you, you know the the one thing about this album and it's um. You know, kind of got some type of negative themes dealing with Peter Steele, the band ending, and, you know, kind of your own demons, too. Kind of talk to me about that a little bit. Um, you know, when I first started writing, I was kind of like banging around ideas. And uh, they were actually for Seventh Ward, my previous band. <clears throat> and then um, as the writing process drew on, you know, uh, kind of like looking for what <clears throat> what the album wanted to be about and, and sound, you know, like when I write, it's more like a search rather than, you know, I'm controlling everything, you know, some, most of the good stuff just comes out of the, out of the thin air, you know? Right. And as, uh, as I was writing and sort of developing uh, the first few sets of lyrics, I noticed I was kind of dealing with those issues. You know, I was going through a lot of, I went through a lot in the last 10 years after Peter's death and the, uh, breakup of typo obviously after his death so it was a lot of searching of uh you know what who the hell i was and what i was going to do for the rest of my life and i realized that uh the album is sort of becoming an epitaph to the 20 years i spent you know in typo and as a member of typo and um yeah so that's how that whole theme started growing no, you know, and once once I once I latched onto that, I just basically explored all those feelings and emotions that I went through after that tectonic change. 
So was it therapeutic? Was it cathartic to get those emotions and feelings out of you? It was definitely cathartic. I know how therapeutic it, it, it was. I, it, you know, caused me to drink a lot. So you know, maybe it was maybe it was therapeutic uh, psychologically, but not so much physically. <clears throat> and and now just having to like revisit those times, you know, kind of going back into your. Uh, you know, the emotions and the, the feelings and, and, you know, dealing with Peter's death and even, you know, obviously the ultimate, the, the demise of the band and all that. Um, you know, what did that stir up a lot of just, you know, maybe feelings that you didn't even, you know, know were there? Oh, definitely. I think it let out. It let out of a lot of the deep emotions that I had um, bottled up, com- compartmentalized, you know. And uh, it helped me make sense of it. You know, it helped help me make sense of uh, why I do some of the things I do. And, you know, why uh, I uh, struggle with anxiety, depression. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is, you know, is rationally based. I've, you know, been through a lot of shit. I mean, everybody goes through a lot of shit, you know? Yeah. So I guess, yeah, this is the way I dealt with mine. Oh, I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of times, you know, music is the best therapy, so you know, to deal with it this way is probably, you know, one of the best ways to do it, I think. It's creative, yeah. <clears throat> the actual, you know, writing process and things like that, you know, are you a are you a guy that, you know, likes to get in a room and jam, or are you a guy that likes to, you know, sit at the computer and, and put out some uh, some stuff that way? Both. Both. Um, you know, kind of like, you know, Johnny's very busy all the time, so getting him down there to uh, work out with him is, is always, we always have to uh, really get that time together and um <clears throat> we don't jam as much as i'd like to because he's now living in texas so a lot of this record was done and uh, i converted my wife's walk-in closet into a studio <laughs> I'm, I'm and, sure uh, that went over well. it, it, there's jackets around and stuff like that you know to uh, uh to soundproof it and i soundproofed it somewhat and i just like stay down there with my computer Whatever, a couple of six packs of beer, and I screw my head off at three in the morning, and then you know whatever comes out, you know, comes out. Next morning, I kind of reassess it, and I'm like, sometimes I'm like, "Wow, this is really good," and then sometimes I'm like, <laughs> "What the hell was I thinking?" I think we, I think we all do that. The uh, and those coats, you know, kind of act as a natural, uh, you know, sound uh, soundproofing. So I'm sure that that helped out in the recording process. It did, it did. And then uh, I also, I ran, I drilled a hole through the floor. My laundry room was right down into that closet, and I ran some cables upstairs. And so a lot of a lot of the record, when we recorded it, we, we did um, we did all the uh, all the basic tracks in a, in a place in, in Pennsylvania. But then, like, all the overdubs, my vocals and the leads and stuff, we did in my house. And we just plugged in in my living room and did it in my living room. A lot of complaints from my neighbors. <laughs> did the uh being in there with all those coats did you go wait a minute you never wear these coats like why do we have all these coats did you have any of those well, arguments uh, uh, it, oh the shoes i finally got rid of the <laughs> shoes i mean i live with three women you know i have a wife and two daughters yeah up to my neck in shoes so i built her a shoe closet well that's so one thing it's got all the shoes there and um God, it's nice and cozy in there you know i had you know, light dimmer, light dim down the lights 
You know, it's like very dead sounding. That stuff comes out at like two two a.m., three a.m. when the whole world's sleeping. You know, oh, that's the best times. Uh, with the with the typo themes and kind of dealing with Peter and all that on this album, and having Johnny a part of the a part of the band, is that something you had to talk to him about? And be like, hey, by the way, this album is kind of uh, kind of going into some deep stuff. Did you have that conversation with Johnny? No, I mean it was just developed. It developed right in front of him, you know, and okay. and he was all about it. He loved it. You know what the lyrics were saying, what we're trying to capture, and um, the whole idea to start orchestrating the parts. I mean, it kind of like wrote itself. The orchestrated parts, and we were like, "Wow, this this has a lot of possibilities." And Johnny was like, "Why don't we just go for it?" I said, "Okay, we don't have a keyboard. I don't know how we're going to pull this off, you know." And we just sort of went, went, went for it, and uh, you know, that's how I ended up needing a keyboard player. I got to concede, play keyboards. It's Aaron Juice who brought it to the band. Yeah, everything is. And then um, Joe James, my guitar player, great guitar player. Um, Hank Hell was was a carryover from Seventh Ward as well. He was a bass player in Seventh Ward. The and then, um, excuse me. No, I was going to say the one thing. The one thing about the band, though, even though these are about your emotions and your feelings and everything about Peter and Typo, this album is like a hard rock and. Led Zeppelin Black Sabbath album. You know, it's not, you know, you're not going to get a, a, a super typo album out of this. So don't, you know, if fans are going into it thinking you're going to resurrect oh, all of it, you, you know, yeah, you're definitely not getting that. Yeah. Yeah. It's in no way that. I mean, I would never do that. I mean, I'm going to try, try to, what do you want me to sing an octave lower and try <laughs> to sound just like typo? That would be like ridiculous, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, it's, it's more of a fusion of things, you know? Yeah, it was. You so, definitely couldn't nail it down. You know, listening to listening through it. You know, there was, like I said, kind of some some, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath sounding stuff, and then even you know, like you know, it's kind of hard, hard. Yeah, the Pink Floyd stuff, and and so the yeah. uh, it's you know, it's, it's a very very rocking record uh, as opposed to you know some of the drudgier typo stuff that maybe your fans are accustomed to. Yeah, I mean, some of it's drudgy, but you're right. It's a very hard rock based, and you know, I'm. I mean, that's where I became, you know, musically conscious in the 70s when I was a kid. So, you know, that's what I grew up on. I grew up on all that stuff. And I guess, you know, including the Beatles and trying to fuse all those things until you find something, you know, that you love to hear and you love to play. You know, one thing this uh, talking about Peter and Typo and all kind of came up is, you know, I got into Typo, obviously, with Black Number 1. I was like 13 years old. And we would go to, me and a buddy of mine would go to every Typo show that came through Nashville. Uh, at a great place called 328 Performance Hall where I basically grew up. Uh, no longer there. But um, meeting Peter and my buddy actually bought the Playgirl magazine and took it to him for him to autograph well it. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, in a very innocent way, he was like, Peter, you hung like a horse. And Peter looked at him, immediately said, yes, my mother was a mule. And I will never, ever forget that. <laughs> Peter always had a quick comeback, man. <laughs> that was great. That was absolutely he had a, He had an equal amount of dudes make him sign that, sign that magazine as girls. <laughs> that was a very, very odd thing, you know, because I'm probably like 16, 17, and my, you know, my yeah. buddy's a couple years older, and he's like, I got the Playgirl. And you're like, do you look at it or don't you look at it? So... <laughs> but uh you know one of those things that i noticed i was at a show just recently and a band was throwing out toilet paper from the stage and 
the ba- the first times I ever remembered like bands throwing toilet paper, like toilet dry. paper rolls, was you guys. Was that? Did you guys get that from anywhere, or is that a true no. typo original that's carried on to this day? That's uh, a true, honest typo negative original. We've been doing we've been doing this since 1989. Yeah, back in the first Lamore shows, and we were throwing out a number of things. Yeah, yeah. Pumpkins, banana peels, and toilet paper, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah, the toilet-, toilet paper. Toilet paper was always the mainstay. We'd even put it on the rider in like uh, in uh, big hometown shows, whether it's Philly or maybe sometimes it was L.A. You know, whatever big shows, we put five hundred rolls of toilet paper. Wow! And uh, that was the minimum. <laughs> five hundred rolls of toilet paper. Uh, sure. Then we'd have our text, you know, peel the paper, open the toilet paper rolls all day. Yeah, and once they got going, man, those were some of the craziest things I've ever seen. Is you know, once that once that stuff gets flying and the rolls uh, get undone, man, it was a lot of fun to see. And it was crazy that a band in 2019 at a festival was still doing it. I was like, wait a minute, isn't this typo negative? Like, <laughs> what band did it? Uh, the band uh, A Day to Remember, good good uh, kind of pop punk band, hardcore band okay. out of Florida. But yeah, it was cool. it was fun to see. That was like a nice little homage to to uh, to typo. I wonder if they. I wonder if they got it from them or, or, you know, just saw it somewhere else or whatnot. Well, you know, they might have seen it somewhere, you know, of us doing it over the years, even the Pantera show. You know, the Pantera show in, uh, in Vegas, we did a thousand rolls. <laughs> Good Lord. That probably put somebody back about eight bucks, too. <laughs> oh, they, their, their, their gear just blew up and... We were just running around stage chasing each other. They were feeding back. And then the Pantera was actually barred from Vegas for two years after that. <laughs> well, that's one thing. When I when I do have bands on that got to tour with Pantera, Pantera being my all-time favorite band, you know, what are some of your memories of touring with those guys? Well, that was a good one right there. <laughs> we wrecked their show in Vegas. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, those guys were a, a great time, man. You know, we did a lot of touring with them. Yeah. Like eight or nine weeks. And every night was a party. And you were not, even no matter how hungover you were, you were not allowed to not party. Donnie Bay come into your dressing room. What do you mean you're not drinking? You know, so <laughs> shoveling your stuff down your throat. It was just nonstop, man. We had a great time with those guys. Yeah, I got to see the, the Typo Pantera show. And uh, actually, uh, for some out-of-nowhere reason, and my Facebook memory this morning was uh, I'd, I'd uh, scanned my ticket stub from like 96 uh, from that show. So very, very cool, man. Very good to talk to you and, and to kind of relive those memories because, uh, you know, those were some those those shows and then the Typo Life of Agony shows, uh, mm. you know, so, so, so many great tours back then. Well, the Typo Life of Agony one, that would be like 93, right? Uh, 93, 94, somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah so that was, that was the very beginning. We were just, in a, we were in a tour bus and we were playing to like, I don't know, hundred people a night. <laughs> <laughs> I think Bloody Kisses was out for like six months. Yeah. Those were the days, man. It was just like nothing to lose. Or was it like 24? Screw it, you know, <laughs> just having fun. Right? <clears throat> Yeah, another crazy part about those shows too, because like I said, I was you know I was thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years old. You know, girls showing up at typo shows were, you know, there was just so much sex in the air that you just did you didn't know what to do with yourself. And you know, I'm going through puberty, and there's just like just all these just amazing goth girls just walking around. I know it was uh, even though we were a grunge era band, like all the grunge bands, they were all you know being doomy and gloomy at their shows and. 
We were like a stripper band. All <laughs> the strippers would show up at typo shows. Big yeah. parties on the bus every night, the bus jumping up and down. <laughs> too good, too it good. Fun. It was fun. Well, back to Silver Tomb. Um, the, like, like we said, the new album, November 1st, basically October 31st, Halloween, the, um, you know, what are the plans for the band? You know, what are we going to see a tour? What are we, what are we looking at? Well, we're definitely going to be touring. We're doing something coming in March, but I can't really announce it right now yet because all the dates aren't confirmed, okay. but we'll be doing North America in March. And, um, we actually have, uh, our first headlining show in New York coming up um, December 21st this year at St. Vitus. Nice. So, and then, you know, we're going to let the music, let the people absorb the music for a few months and then hit the road in March. I haven't toured since, well, last year I did a short two and a half week tour with, we opened up for Life of Agony. Nice. And we had um, released Insomnia, that one, the one song from Silver Tomb. And that was really cool. And that was the first time I'd toured since 2011. So, but, you know, coming in March, it'll be the first real, real six-week, four, six-week tour you know, that I've done in a long time. I'm very excited, man. I want to have fun, you know? Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. And this episode is actually gonna be a split episode with. Uh, I also did an interview with Alan Robert of Life of Agony. This is also coming out on on on, uh, on Halloween. So just to kind of wrap it up, you know, what are your kind of memories as a kid of Halloween? You know, were you uh, did you get the plastic uh, costume with the plastic mask and that you could barely breathe out of and all that good stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. And then we used to collect our candy in a plastic pumpkin. Yeah. Me and my me and my brother. And we were always the kids that were out the latest, like till 11 o'clock at night. I mean, kid, parents would never let their kids do that these days. And we were little assholes. Even when a nice old lady <laughs> gave us candy, when she shut the door, we'd jump on a bush and crush a bush. Nice. Know? There was a, actually, funny you're talking about being out till 11. There's a, a city in Virginia that just passed a law that it's a, it's a misdemeanor if you're trick-or-treating after the age of 12. And it's a misdemeanor if you're out past like eight, I think. And it's an, it's insane. It's the most insane. Uh, oh, you know, well, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with the out past eight, you know, because there's a lot of freaks in the world. Yeah. Uh, um, and I'll also, well, actually, I'll also agree with the uh, past 12 years old. Because if you're trick or treating past 12 years old, you're, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, I, I I guess I take my kids out and my I guess my thirteen year old he doesn't want to go this year, but I think he went last year. But uh, you know, I get it. But it's just it's just crazy that they're making it a law. But I do get you know. I guess I guess I have handed out candy, and you know, you get that group of you know like fourteen, fifteen year olds that you know barely are wearing a mask, and you're like, get out of here. <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's end this episode off with uh, with the song off of Edge of Existence. Uh, which song would you like us to play? Uh, Rite of Passage. All right. Is there a little meaning behind that one you want to want to talk about? It's about suicide. My my own attempt at it, failed attempt, obviously. So I'm talking to you right now. Well, and we are all glad it was a failed attempt because, uh, you know, all the yeah, greatness I'm, that I'm, you are. I, I'm pretty happy about it, too. <laughs> it was probably one of the dumbest, probably the dumbest thing I tried ever in my life. Absolutely. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure, Kenny, and uh, good luck with the record. Good luck with the tour next year. Hopefully you'll be coming through the, uh, through the South. We will see you out on the road and make sure everybody picks up Edge of, Edge of Existence November 1st. 
Thanks, buddy. All right, take care.
All right, huge thank you to Alan Robert of Life of Agony. Huge thank you to Kenny Hickey of Typo Negative slash Silver Tomb fame. Make sure you're checking out both of their new albums. And uh, it was great to go down memory lane with both of those guys. Uh, definitely have been seeing those guys live since I was in my teens. So it's been a very long time ago and uh, many, many, many moons ago. Happy Halloween, guys. Make sure to stay safe out there. Make sure to order yourself a Talk To Me t-shirt. Make sure you're supporting Good Company with Bowling. Make sure you're supporting our good friends at uh, MerchLive.com. Promo code uh, ToMe10 at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Yes, that is ToMe10 for 10% off your entire order. Once again, ToMe10, T-O-O-M-E-Y-1-0 at checkout for 10% off your entire order. And so in the spirit of Halloween and the spirit of spookiness, let's uh, end this off with some classic typo negative. And until next Thursday, I've been Joshua Toomey, and this is the Talk Toomey Podcast. Across upon her bedroom wall From grace she will fall An image burning in her mind And between her thighs
Like me. 